Okay, we are continuing um, talking about the inspiration of the Bible, proving the Bible. We've gone through giving evidences for the existence of God. We've talked about the crucifixion of Christ, and we've talked about, we started talking about the Bible and looking at the the evidence for manuscript evidence and all sorts of things. And we're going to come to probably one of the the greatest things of uh, proving the inspiration of the Bible. Now, begin with a claim. God makes some big claims. Um, and uh, starting, um, and that's prophecy. And Isaiah, in chapter 44, verse 6 through 8, he says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last, and besides me there is no God who is like me. Let him proclaim it. And goes on and on. Anybody. Anyway, he says, uh, he basically says, listen, Step up and uh, and see if you can make predictions like I make predictions. Uh, step up, Nostradamus, and see if you can do like me. Uh, you know, basically, Nostradamus is uh, at some point in the future something will happen to some guy. That's Nostradamus. Um, uh, God, God says, I I do details. I declare it from the beginning to the end. I'm going to tell you how it's going to happen, and we are going to see that a couple. We don't. I mean, the Bible is full of them. And uh, if we have time, we're going to look at two. We'll definitely have time to look at one, and I'll give you some picture evidence to go with this. This is uh, one of my favorite predictions is found in Ezekiel uh, chapter 26. So we'll just turn there, and I'm not, it's too much to throw up on the screen. Um, we might refer to some of the individual statements as we go through it. But Ezekiel chapter 26. And in this passage, he's speaking to the city of Tyre. And we'll talk about Tyre and what Tyre was and, and everything like that. But, um, but uh, it's the, uh, essentially, it's the whole chapter. Uh, is just a breakdown of what's going to happen to Tyre. So he says, it came to pass in the, seventh, the 11th year, I don't know the 11th year of who or what, but um, on the first day of that month that the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, because Tyre has said against Jerusalem, Ah, she is broken, who was the gateway of peoples, now she's turned over to me, I shall be filled, she is laid waste. And therefore, thus says the Lord God, I am against you, Tyre. I will cause many nations to come up against you, like the sea causes waves to come up, and they shall destroy the walls of Tyre, break down her towers. I will scrape her, scrape um, her dust from her, and make her as the top of a rock. It will be a place for spreading nets in the midst of the sea. For I have spoken, says the Lord God. It shall become a plunder for the nations. Also, her daughter villages, which are in the fields, some will just say daughters in the fields, uh, on the mainland. Um, but her daughters, uh, her daughter villages, which are in the fields, shall be slain by the sword. They shall know that I am the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring against Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings, with horses, chariots, and horsemen, and an army with many people. He will slay the, daughter, uh, the sword, your daughter villages, in the fields, and he will uh, heap up a siege mound against you, and build a wall against you, and raise a defense against you. And he will direct his battering rams against your walls, and with his axe he will break down your towers. Because of the abundance of his horses, their dust will cover you. Your walls will shake at the noise of the horsemen. 
wagons and the chariots, and when he enters your gates, as men enter a city that has been breached, and with the hooves of his horse he will trample your streets, and he will slay your people by the sword, and your strong pillars will fall to the ground. They will plunder your riches and pillage your merchandise. They will break down your walls, destroy your pleasant houses. They will lay your stones, your timber, your soil in the midst of the water. I will put an end to the sound of your songs, and the sound of your harps will be heard no more. I will make you like a top of a rock, a place for spreading a nets, and you will never be rebuilt. For I, the Lord, have spoken. And thus says the Lord God to Tyre, With the coastland, Will the coastlands not shake at the sound of your fall, when the wounded cry and slaughter is made in the midst of you? Then all the princes of the sea will come down from their thrones, lay aside their robes, take off their embroidered garments, and they will clothe themselves with trembling, and they will sit on the ground and tremble every moment and be astonished, and they will take up a sad song for you and say, Oh, you've perished, O oh, one inhabited by seafaring men, a renowned city who was strong at sea, she and her inhabitants who caused their terror to be on all her inhabitants. Now the coastlands tremble on the day of your fall. Yes, the coastlands by the sea are trembled at your departure. For thus says the Lord God, when I make you a desolate city, like cities that are not inhabited, when I bring deep upon you, and great waters cover you, then I will bring you down with those who descend into the pit to the people of old, and I will make you to dwell in the lowest part of the earth, in places desolate from antiquity, with those who go down to the pit, so that you may never be inhabited, and I will establish glory in the land of the living. I will make you a terror. You shall be no more. Though you are sought for, you will never be found again, says the Lord God. This is an incredible incredible prophecy and um, so I want to talk just a little bit first about what or who Tyre was it was a wealthy seaport in Lebanon um, it was one of the ancient cities and most glorious cities that goes back to 2700 BC it's one of the oldest cities in the world I think uh, the longest continuing city in the world is Damascus and Tyre is pretty close behind it um, <clears throat> It became extremely wealthy under uh, King Hiram, who you read about in, in terms of uh, with Solomon and David. He was concurrent there. And, um, it was a mainland city, but there was an island off of it. And he started populating this island, too, and use, recognizing that it could be used for a port city and recognizing that it was also a, a, a good, uh, convenient um, defense uh, built up an incredible navy, and through his business with Solomon, um, it became one of the foremost um, uh, merchant and, and, and port cities in the world. And kings from all over, from Europe, from, from all over the world, um, or the known world at the time, did business with the Middle East through this city in Lebanon. Uh, and we don't we don't go back and go oh Tyre what's a Tyre we don't think of that if you Google Tyre you get a picture of Tyre even if you misspell it wrong you Google it and look up pictures and you have to be specific because you see pictures of tires right? Tyre is not in the is it's not in our vocabulary we don't think of it as a great city which is a testament to what God says He's like, like you're going to be nothing you're you're not I mean if you look up Damascus you're going to see a city of you're going to see pictures of Damascus right any old great city not Tyre. Um, so, Tyre was what we call a riddle with no real solution up to this point. And um, that's the city plan of Tyre. 
And so, so the island, the mainland was where they lived. I know it gives a blow up here of, of the island because that was a strategic part. But the mainland had the majority of the population. And um, so whenever it would be attacked, and they had fortresses that could be defended on the mainland, but when it would be attacked, they would go take boats out and just kind of hold out on the ocean, and they could get food, things, and everything they needed there. Um, and then they just kind of wait till whoever got tired and went home, and then they'd go back to the mainland. If they were attacked by sea, now they'd had an incredible navy. They were they had one of the foremost navies. Anybody? Okay, they just take boats into the mainland, kind of hang out until the people got tired in their boats and went home. So, so it's this riddle that that no one's been able to solve. And, and in fact, he says um, he says. Nebuchadnezzar is going to come against you. We're going to talk specifically about two attacks of many. Um, we're going to just detail a couple of them. But how far is the island from the mainland? Oh, it, it's not that far. It, that, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's that island is. Uh, you could walk across it from north to south, probably in in an hour at the most, just kind of strolling. So it's not. So you're about. And I don't know how accurate that map is. Um, so um, that's a really old map, and they didn't always tend to be, you know. Uh, but it, 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 it's not that long. It's, it's not that far. It's, it's like uh, maybe, well, you'll see a picture kind of a, a little bit later. I'll, I'll, I'll show it. it. I don't know, maybe a quarter mile or something like that. So, um, so Nebuchadnezzar has already, at this point, come, tried to attack it once and failed, I believe. Um, or at least other nations have. I'm not sure of all the history going into it. But he predicts um, that many nations were going to come up against it. Many nations. I mean, at, at the point in which this is written, uh, Babylon, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is busy with Egypt. He's, he's down messing with Egypt. If you're tired of Nothing is ever going to happen to us. You're one of the greatest places in the world. Who's ever going to try to attack us? Not only that, it would be very inconvenient to do that. We do a lot of commerce. We're, we're safe because of our, our value to the world. Why would anyone want to attack us and bring that down? Uh, these are the, after this, these are a sampling of the countries that attacked Tyre. Uh, it goes all the way up to very recent um, the, uh, let me just run through these real fast. Um, <clears throat> Cyrus the per of Persia in 538 B.C., shortly after this. In 392, and that's, this is after Babylon's attack. In 392 B.C., uh, by Egypt. And some of these multiple times, by the way. At 332, by Alexander the Great, which is the other one we're going to look at. Um, shortly after uh, Alexander the Great died, Ptolemy, one of his generals, attacked it again. 315 B.C., Antigonus of Syria. 395, the Byzantine Empire. Um, that's 395 A.D. 600 A.D., the Shah of Iran. 638, uh, a successor of Muhammad uh, in Arabia, attacked it. 998, um, a group of... Uh, African Muslims, one of like North Africa, I don't know if it, exactly what country, um, defeated it. Uh, 1086, Seljuk Turks. In 1089, Africa recaptured it from them. And in the 1100s, it swapped back and forth between 
uh, Muslim groups and the Catholics as they attacked in the Crusades. Um, 1291, the Arabs conquered it. In the 1500s, the Ottoman Turks conquered it and held it until World War II. There was even other things that have happened to it since then, right up into the 80s. Uh, bombings and various things like that. Yeah. So, so very recent. So when God says details, he, he, I give details. I said many nations, and many nations have attacked it. Um, one of the things that um, he says, well, Ezekiel predicted that the Nebuchadnezzar was going to make it like the top of a rock. And if you look at a picture today, there's a picture of Tyre inside, and, or a picture of Tyre uh, today as a thriving city of 117,000 people. That's not really the, the top of a rock, and we're going to talk about exactly why. But I want to back up to Nebuchadnezzar's attack. The Bible clearly predicts that Nebuchadnezzar was going to be the first of many attacks. So, so the Bible does not predict, God does not predict that uh, he was going to destroy it uh, on his own, but that it was going to be destroyed through uh, a number of attacks. Um, and exactly as the Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar did lay a siege against it. He surrounded the mainland. He, he knew what was going to happen. We're going to go out to the island or whatever. Uh, he had a plan to get everybody out of the mainland, get them out to the island, and then go from there. Uh, once they were gone, he destroyed the city so that there was nothing to come back to. All right? so, um, so he conquered the island, um, and it, now as these attacks start, every time they come back to try to rebuild their city, they're attacked. And so it's not rebuilt. So, uh, it is the place for the spreading of nets, as he says. Now, we're going to talk about um, uh, the city has more recently been rebuilt. Um, there's photographic evidence of how this is, though it's a city of 117,000 people, does not disturb this prophecy uh, one bit. So, we start with the attack of Alexander the Great. Uh, now, one of the, the things that you would think is that people who would attack, and, and um, why didn't Nebuchadnezzar just build a causeway out there? Right? Just build a, some, some sort of a ramp, which they did all the time, other places, but the water there, between, because of the distance between there, was really turbulent, and it would, any time you were trying to build out this wooden causeway, Right, we talk about the cedars of Lebanon, right? I mean, there's lots of trees. That was one of their main exports. It would totally destroy it as they're trying to build it. So it was not really um, possible to do that. Now, I want to look at verse 11 and 12 because this is kind of interesting. And this is going to uh, lead us into Alexander the Great. I want you to notice the difference. He says, with the hooves of his horses, he will trample your streets. He will slay your people with the sword, and your strong pillars will fall to the ground. They will plunder your riches and pillage your merchandise. They will break down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses, and they will lay your stones, your timber, your soil in the midst of the water. Do you notice the difference between those two verses? Does anybody catch the difference? He goes from speaking about he to speaking about they. So there's a transition in this verse. He goes from talking about Nebuchadnezzar. And, and remember that the, um, the main point of this, 
passage is actually not about the island city. The main part of this passage is about is focused on the mainland city. That was the center of Tyre. Um, and so he's, he goes from talking about what Nebuchadnezzar is going to do to now talking about what is going to happen after Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and what happens, uh, in, in there you see it right there, in Ezekiel 26, 11, 12, you see all the things that he was going to do. That. So verse 11 finishes talking about Nebuchadnezzar. Then we go on. Uh, from there and talking about what's going to happen after. And so uh, the next thing is Alexander the Great. Uh, And this is, uh, he says, your stones and timber uh, they will cast into the midst of the waters. And Alexander the Great realized, I can't build a normal causeway. So he took all the debris. He's like, look at all this good, heavy debris that I have. Uh, Thank you, Nebuchadnezzar and a couple of other people from Cyrus or Persia. And here's this Here's this, just, so this, all this stuff, I mean, he shaped it and made some nice stuff to, to leave behind for us for antiquity. But everything you see was left from the destruction of this city. He might not even had that. Maybe those were things from the buildings that they already had. I don't know. But he just threw it into the sea and he starts building a stone causeway that will not be moved by, by these waters and starts building up. Now you're like, it's the first time anyone's thought of that in history. And, and now what are you going to do? Well, they tried to d- defeat it and tried to, they sent divers out to try to sabotage it. But, I mean, it's the greatest army in the world. And it just comes out. And they build out. And they wipe out the island city. Uh, and it, and uh, <clears throat> so this, this thing wasn't that wide at all. It was just enough, wide enough to march an army down it. Once they got it built, and that was that for Tyre. Um, so he says, I will make you to dwell in the world below among the ruins of old. Uh, and we should notice, um, we're going to notice where the current city of Tyre is located because we get into this prophecy of, well, did this really happen? Did it really, was it really destroyed? And there's all these people that live there. So what I want you to look at, this is a picture recently. That, uh, that, I mean, a hundred and some odd years ago, probably. This is before it became a city of 117,000 people. This is probably when those pictures were taken of spreading of nets and various things like that. You can see some dwellings. But over the couple thousand years, here's this causeway, and here's all these violent waters that they have, and it's catching silt and sand, and it's building up. It is no longer an island at all. So, so you can see the distance between them kind of as you would look at it. It's a, walk, a stroll down the beach from the mainland. And you can kind of see this line coming down. That's the causeway uh, that Alexander the Great built uh, going out there. So if you look at the city now, that's the city of Tyre. The city of Tyre now is where there was water. The... You, uh, so if you look at, that's the island, that was the coast, and that's the city, the mainland city of Tyre. It is uninhabited. And even, even in the parts on the island that are, and we remember, the prophecy is about mainland Tyre. That was the, the core. This was just the ports out here. Even where there is some population, you would have to dig down through about seven or eight layers of civilization to find anything Phoenician. 
you would have to dig down through Muslim and, and Turkish settlements. You'd have to dig down through Roman and Greek and Persian, all these different things that have been, have been there. You have to dig down through layers to find the city of Tyre as it was. In fact, if you look there, you can kind of see uh, in, the, in the waters some of the, the islands that used to be there. Uh, they are underneath. He's like, I will lay you down in the pits. And, and a lot of that is underneath the, the level of the water. It is in the pit. It is down. So um, I want to notice also, well, what about the city not being rebuilt? I mean, the island certainly has some, some inhabitants. But I want to notice the, the tenor of, of the passage. We see at the end of this the, the, looking, the kings looking for her and mourning for Tyre. Where is she? Because it was such an enriching port for the kings of the world. I mean, they got their things of royalty and the, the things they decorated their palaces with came from Tyre. And that's what they're sad about. And it is gone. Um, it's never resumed its position of grandeur. In fact, it was the site of numerous suicide bombings in the 80s, as we talked about. Uh, some of you remember that in the news all the time, if you go back then. As recently as 2006, Israel bombed the daylights out of it uh, after Hezbollah launched missiles into Israel from there. So, so it is never a place of rest. It just isn't. When God says, when God says it, like listen, it is never going to be what you thought of as tired. It's gone, and it's never coming back. There is nobody, there is nobody that makes detailed prophecies and watches them come true like this. I want to talk about one other prophecy, and a completely different type of prophecy, um, a greater type of prophecy. And I want to talk about the crucifixion of Christ. Um, we spent a lot of our time, in fact, last week we talked about the resurrection um, and detailing the accuracy uh, and the harmony of the, the scriptures on that. So I want to talk about two, two passages. Um, we're going to talk, first, Isaiah chapter 52 is a short one. They're both kind of short. Isaiah 52, beginning uh, from the end of it here, and then 53. So he begins in verse 13. He says, My servant shall deal prudently. He will be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many as are astonished as you at you, so his... Appearance was marred more than any man, his form more than the sons of men. He will sprinkle many nations. Kings will be silenced at him for what had not been told to them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will consider. Who has believed our report? Who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he will grow up before him as a tender plant. And as a root out of dry ground, he has no form or comeliness. And when they see him, when we see him, there is no beauty that we would desire him. He was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, but surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. 
bruised for our iniquities, chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, but he opened up his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he will see his seed, and he will prolong his days. And the measure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He will see the labor of his soul. He will be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my, righteousness, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities, and therefore I will divide him a portion with the great. He will divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul into death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The other one is in Psalms chapter 22. And a lot of you recognize that uh, right off as a, another prophecy of Christ's death. Um, this perhaps more interesting or amazing even than Isaiah. Um, <clears throat> and we're not going to read the whole chapter, but just uh, the first 19 verses, or first 18, rather. <clears throat> he says, uh, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry out in the daytime, but you do not hear. In the night season, I am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you, and you were delivered. They trusted not, and you were ashamed. But I am a worm, no man. A reproach of men despised by the people. Those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. But you... Are him who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast <clears throat> on. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near. There is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gave at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water. My bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws, and you have broken me into the dust of death. My dogs, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierce my hands and feet, and I can count my bones. They look out and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. This is, these, these two prophecies are so amazing um, for two reasons. First of all, we're going to talk about the two two categories of things they predict concerning Christ and his crucifixion. First of all, they, they depict the crucifixion specifically of Christ. And these are the different things that they predict. Uh, silence during his trial. Who, given the opportunity to give a defense for themselves, facing the most excruciating type of death possible, would be silent at their own trial? No. Um, he was executed, though he was innocent. Um, in Isaiah 53:9, Christ's bones weren't broken. A very strange thing, that no bones were broken during the scourging and crucifixion process. That is incredible prediction. 
the specific mocking that was spoken on the on the um, oh hey he, he believes in God let him come down off the cross hey, let 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 him rescue him right there is the atoning death and I want to point out something that that no historical event or archaeology or whatever can prove a spiritual point and this is not circular reasoning that I'm trying to point out here um, a spiritual text or subtext to an event can't be proven by a historical observation even though we know Christ's death that's not the point the point is that here is Isaiah referencing human sacrifice no Jew would ever come up with the idea of human sacrifice. That was something that Gentiles did. And yet here's Isaiah predicting that a man would attempt to do that. That would be despicable. That would be disgusting to a Jew. So in prophetic language, here is this idea. And a man claims to do that later. That is the incredible part of this prediction uh, we'll continue on that Jesus was buried in a rich man's tomb okay now we come to the amazing part of this of these two predictions and that is the general depiction of crucifixion and I'll explain why this is uh, is amazing well in talking about crucifixion we've talked about a lot of these different problems that happened during crucifixion to a human body. Not anything pleasant. We talk about the disjointed injury. says, all oh, my bones are out of joint. That happened. They, uh, in, in putting them on the cross, they displaced your shoulder joints. Is, I, I've, I've referenced this quote, but a doctor said it is a symphony. The crucifixion was a symphony of pain. It was pain on so many different levels that you can't imagine it. Um, the severe lacerations. Um, talks about even being unrecognizable. Uh, grotesque disfigurement, again, the same thing. Um, he, he was so lacerated that he says, I can see my bones. They weren't broken, but he could see them. The piercing uh, of, and not just piercing, Isaiah mentions just being pierced, but Psalms references specifically, as kind of interesting, the older one references the detail of being the hands and feet specifically. Gambling over personal effects, which happened not just at Jesus, but at numerous. Uh, if there was anything of value, that was a, a fun game for the soldiers. Uh, as we get later in the process, it talks about dehydration. Um, Psalms 22.14 talks about his exhaustion. And he says, my heart is like wax. And, and we've detailed the, the numerous heart conditions that are going on in the crucifixion. Uh, probably those which caused his death. Why is this amazing? Well, predicting a man's death hundreds of years ahead of time is, is amazing enough. But to do it before that type of capital punishment has even been created, 
That's going a step beyond. God says, watch this. I can go a step beyond. (coughs) Isaiah writes in 700 B.C. David writes about 1000 B.C. The Persians, they both write in Israel. The Persians will invent crucifixion in the mid-500s, more than 200 years after these are written. And I'm pretty sure that the Persians weren't reading Hebrew poetry. And he says, I'm going to predict to you the details of a type of murder that hasn't been committed yet. And then I'm going to go on top of that and I'm going to predict some details about one guy who is going to suffer this thing that hasn't been invented yet. That is incredible. This is, let's, let's do that. I mean, we, we don't predict ahead of time. Oh, what was the big surprise on 9-11? No one had ever done it before. We had, we had, why, why weren't we prepared for this? Because no one's ever done it before. You can't predict what you don't know. You, if, if it had happened, we might be able to predict some details about something that might could happen. But it's never been done before. So how can you predict it? God says, I can. I will go a step above you. I can predict something you've never imagined. And it's going to come true to the very, very detail. When we talk about evidences for inspiration prophecy and and the bible is loaded with them it is loaded with them i thought about daniel 9 it's probably one of my favorites we've gone through it in in sermon before the prediction of the the year the year of christ's death the prediction to the year of the beginning of christ's ministry the year there's so many things. Christ, this is a book like no other. And the world recognizes that this is a book like no other. That's why there are attacks on it like no other. That's why again and again we have seen hostile forces try to burn this book, ban this book, get it out of circulation because it stands apart and it has implications on the way we live. Any thoughts as we close? We're done a couple of minutes early, but okay. you are dismissed. <laughs>